0: Revelation chapter two, we've been I'm uh, working our way through this section. We know that John was on the island of Patmos and he sees Jesus. Jesus tells him that he is supposed to write the things that he has seen, the things that are and the things that will take place after this. And so we're in this second section, uh, which is chapters two and three. And Jesus tells John to write a message to these seven churches. (coughs) Today we'll be looking at the third church, which is the church of Pergamos. Is there one there, Revelation chapter 2? And my title is Hold On to Sound Doctrine. Hold On to Sound Doctrine. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things, says he who has the sharp two edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, And will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Let us pray. (coughs) Lord, we thank you for. Allowing us this opportunity to come together, to fellowship together and to spend time in your word. I pray that you will sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. I pray that as we work our way through the book of Revelation, you would help us to see as your word says that the purpose of prophecy is not just to know what will happen in the future. It is for us to live correctly right now, because as John says in his first epistle. All of us who have this hope will purify ourselves even as He is pure. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us to be not only hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. And I pray that you would speak to us even uh, through this book now. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Hold on to sound doctrine. One of the things that we learn, uh, that I have learned over the years, is that. Christians don't like doctrine. We don't like it. If you ask Christians to memorize a creed, they have a problem with it. If you ask Christians to memorize a catechism, question and answer, they can't do it. I remember when I left for seminary and talked to several ministers at uh, my old church, and they told me, Why are you wasting your time going to school? You don't need more theology. All you need is neology. I was like, that, that sounds good, but that's dumb. Right. But they're saying uh, you don't need to understand theology or doctrine. All you need to do is understand how to pray and spend time with God and let God tell you what to say. And although that sounds great, Paul spent a lot of time writing to Timothy and Titus saying, make sure you give your attention to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is doctrine that produces a change in those who hear it. So if Paul spent a lot of time Writing about doctrine and the importance of it—it it is something that we as Christians should also focus on. <coughs> Side note: uh, Didn't plan to say this; it just came to, came to my mind. I, I I would love for someone to show me how you can read the Bible and not focus on doctrine. This is doctrine, <laughs> okay? The, the The word doctrine just means teaching. So, uh, I, I, I I was talking I was listening to this guy he was talking uh, um uh, he's a Christian rapper and he was talking about how you know people are arguing over doctrine I just focus on scripture I would love to have a conversation with him and just ask him what does the bible say about and any subject and and when he starts to explain I would just cut him off and say that's doctrine because anytime Anytime you explain a Bible verse, you are telling us your doctrine. Okay. So it is impossible for us to read scripture without doctrine. It is important. Now, what is the purpose of doctrine? I want you to quickly turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. What is the purpose of Doctrine. A lot of times we think that the purpose of doctrine is for us to know more information, to know more about God. And, and that is an important part of doctrine, but that is not the goal of doctrine. That's not the goal of doctrine. That's a an important part of it. But there is a specific goal that comes about from us. Knowing doctrine. First Timothy chapter five. I write this down wrong? I wrote that in the wrong scripture. Anyway, let me give it to you. The one I was thinking about—I <laughs> wrote the wrong scripture. Paul says that the goal or the purpose of doctrine is love from a pure heart, from a pure conscience. The goal of doctrine is, somebody Google it for me real quick. It's for Timothy. I know it ain't 5, 3, through 7. I just looked at that. it ain't right. <laughs> I must have misremembered it. The goal of doctrine is love from a pure heart and from a pure conscience. So the reason that we learn doctrine is not because we want to know a lot of information about God. Paul says that the purpose of doctrine is so that we can learn to. First one, five. one, five. I don't know how I put five, but there you go. First Timothy one. Chapter five. The whole section is five through eleven. And she said it. I remember. The goal of doctrine is love from a pure heart and from a pure conscience. The, the, the reason that we study scripture, the reason that we learn doctrine, the reason that we learn creeds or the reason that we learn catechisms, the reason that we learn all of these things is so that we could learn how to put these things into practice in our lives. So that we can learn how to love God and love others from a pure heart and from a pure conscience. Now, when keeping that in mind, when we go back over to Revelation chapter 2, this section is on sound doctrine. Making sure that you hold on to doctrine that is healthy and whole and transformative. And I believe that The reason Jesus points this out here and he talks about those who have a bad doctrine in the church of Pergamos is because you can make a direct link between the way people live their lives. And what they believe. I remember we talked about this maybe a year or so ago. We were having a conversation and and we were talking about certain things and and someone says, well, I, I believe xyz whatever the conversation was about and and th- as usual uh th- when we have conversation like that you know people get offended by my responses i I've, I've learned that, that that's just my ministry and <laughs> so and, it, and and i said to the person i said i don't think you believe that yes i do you can't tell me what i believe i i don't think you believe that you might know that to be true but you certainly don't believe it, because if you believed it, you would act differently. Now, let me give you an example. We all know that smoking cigarettes can cause cancer, correct? Anybody don't believe that? I- if you don't believe that, look on the pack of cigarettes, and there's a Surgeon General warning on it. Why do people still smoke. Because although they know that smoking can cause cancer, they don't believe that it's going to happen to them. There is a distinction between knowledge and belief. If you truly believe something, you must live it out. There's a distinct correlation between what we believe And what we do. Now, when John is writing to this church here, I want us to uh, go through this one by one very quickly. And then I owe y'all 12 minutes. (laughs) So so I'm going to finish up quickly. Listen to what John says to this church. And notice how he links doctrine to their behavior he says to the church angel of the church in pergamos to the to the leader of the church in pergamos these things says he who has the two the sharp two-edged sword now we know that in this area they believed uh, that the, the government officials had the power of the sword they had the power over life And death. They could execute anyone they wanted at will. Jesus says to the church in Pergamos, The one who is speaking to you is the one who has the sharp two edged sword, the one who has power over life and death. And he says to John to tell them the same thing he said to all of the churches before I know your works. I know exactly what you are doing, have done, and the motives behind all of these things. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. John is talking uh, to this church leader. And he tells them this message from Jesus. And, and he says that the church in Pergamos is a faithful church. Even under persecution, they did not deny Jesus. Now, most likely, John is talking about the uh, persecution under Emperor Domitian. And and uh, we know during that time period, uh, things that, that took place, right? But whoever this antipass is, he was he was killed and probably the reference to being killed uh, uh uh where satan dwells is probably a reference to emperor worship okay so we know during this time that people were required to take an oath to the emperor they would have to sacrifice to the emperor and say caesar is lord and anyone who did not sacrifice They were considered an enemy of the state. They were on the wrong side of uh, of politics, and they were executed. And Jesus says to them, even though my faithful witness was killed, you all remain faithful. (coughs) This is not a church that is turning their back on Jesus. They were faithful to Jesus as a whole. But just like Jesus said to all of the other church churches, he tells them something positive that they did. But then he goes on to give them an indictment. Although they were faithful to Christ in the face of persecution. Jesus says. But I have a few things against you. He says, I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, Jesus is not indicting the whole church. Jesus says the church as a whole, as a whole, the church has been faithful. But the church has a problem. They're not dealing with the group of people in the church that's holding on to an unsound doctrine. As a matter of fact, if we were to skip down to the end, (coughs) Jesus says in verse 16, repent or else I will come to you. Talking about the church. Repent or I will come to you and I will fight against them. Jesus is not saying I'm going to come attack the whole church. Jesus is saying. If the church does not repent and deal with the people in the church that are holding on to an unsound doctrine, I'm going to come to the church and I'm going to fight against them. The ones holding the unsound doctrine. And this is a reminder that the one who is speaking is the one who has the sharp two edged sword. Now, Notice here what Jesus tells John to say. Jesus does not indict them on theoretical issues of their doctrine, right? We we know issues that are taking place at, t- at this, t- this time, right? They were dealing with issues of, of docetism, right? come Bible study we talk about all these things right uh, or like an incipient form of gnosticism all of these different issues that the churches were facing john is not to go to them and address any theoretical issues of doctrine all of the doctrines that he is supposed to address are all practical living issues the doctrine that they held to was affecting their lifestyle And Jesus says, tell them that the one who holds the sharp two-edged sword, the one who has the right to let people live or to die, they need to address their doctrine, right, and by extension, their lifestyle, well, I'm going to come and fight against them. Now, listen to the doctrine. He says, but I have, verse 14, a few things against you, Because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Who is Balaam? In order for us to understand what is being said, we have to turn back to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 22. you all will remember that the nation of Israel is set free from Egypt and they wander in the wilderness for how long? 40 years, 40 years in the desert. And as they're wandering through the desert, they are meeting other nations and and they defeat these nations in battle. And so nations come together. They try to figure out how can they stop the nation of Israel and they understand that that. Their God is their source of power. So because this is a spiritual issue, they call this prophet named Balaam. And they ask Balaam to curse the nation of Israel so that they will be defeated. Kay. Now, we all, I'm not going to read the story. I'm going to walk the story real quick. And Balaam takes the money so he could curse the nation of Israel. And then God shows up. God appears to Balaam and he tells him, you are not going to curse my people. Every single time they ask you to curse my people, you're going to bless them. And so Balaam goes back and he's like, well, I have to give you your money back because God showed up and he said, I can't curse his people. He's like, no, we paid you to curse them. And, and, And for me to paraphrase, he says, who can curse what God has blessed? OK. Yeah. And so, of course, Balaam is, is 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 debating. He doesn't know what to do. And so he's riding his donkey. Right. At the end of chapter 22. And and an angel with a sharp sword appears on the road. But Balaam doesn't see the donkey. I mean, He doesn't see the angel. But the donkey sees the angel. And so the the, the the donkey keeps trying to get out of the way of the angel because he sees him holding his sword. And and, and Balaam gets so upset because his foot is crushed. Against the wall by the donkey, trying to get away from the angel, that he starts beating the donkey, and then the donkey talks to him. <laughs> okay, and so he he's standing here having a conversation with a, with an animal, and and he, the donkey's like, "Why why are you beating me?" And he's because you you will you you crush my foot, you won't keep going. And so he says, "There's an angel standing there on the road." about to kill you. And so then he's able to see the angel. And so the angel says that if it were not for the donkey moving out of my way, I would have killed you on the road. Okay. Now, Balaam, even though most likely Balaam is not uh, uh, a believer in, in uh, Yahweh, right, he's given these prophecies. And one of the prophecies is the prophecy of Jesus. We won't have time for that. Go to chapter 25. Numbers, chapter 25. In Numbers, chapter 25, something interesting takes place. In Numbers, chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. Now, Israel remained in Acacia grove. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Now. At this time. Israel somehow begins to engage with these, uh, the men of Israel begin to engage with these women of Moab. And and they commit harlotous acts. We know that in these rituals, right, as they are worshiping their their gods, they would begin to, uh, because Baal worshipped, is uh, was a more of an agricultural thing. They needed it to rain in order to for to have uh, um rain for the harvest and all of these different things, right? One of the things is that is that they would have to have to try to get the gods to make it rain because they believed that rain uh, was things that men produce in order to cause an uh, ovum. You get my point, got my point, okay, so they needed it to m- the gods to make it rain, and so in order to get the gods to do what they needed to do in order to make it rain, they had to do the act themselves in order to induce the gods to do that act to make it rain and Israel falls into these practices but it's not until chapter 31 that we find the reason why numbers 31 I know I'm rushing through this cuz my throat hurts <coughs> but stay with me numbers 31 why does israel fall into these practices where do these moabites women come from in the desert numbers 31 tells us verse 15 Verse 15, and Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now, to summarize the chapters that we did not look at. Balaam told them he could not curse the nation of Israel because God would not let him do it. He could only bless the nation of Israel because that is what God commanded. But instead of cursing them, he gave them counsel or advice on how to make Israel put themselves under God's judgment. If you induce them into sin, God will punish them himself. So here's what you do. You send the women out. You induce them to get involved in Baal worship and all of the practices that go uh, with it. That is a violation of their laws. And God will punish the people himself. Now. Now. when we go back to Revelation chapter 2 John says here that Jesus has some things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam the doctrine of Balaam is not some set of of theoretical rules or theology where people are memorizing false doctrines. The doctrine of Balaam is all about living in practices that are against God that will bring his judgment on his people. He says, and it's quite interesting, right, if you Notice in verse 13, he says, you hold fast to my name, right? You have a strong grip on my name. You are faithful to me. You would not let my name go, even under persecution. He says, you have some who are there who hold the same word, the same way some of them are holding on to Jesus in the midst of persecution. You have some who are, who are holding strong on this doctrine of Balaam. His doctrine is that he is the one who taught Balak to put a stumbling block. The word is literally a trap, a trap. So that, you know, you know if you've ever seen a, a, a trap for a rabbit, it just sits open. And as soon as they touch the little pad in the middle, it snaps. You are teaching them to put a trap before my people to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Now, it's impossible for us to, to go back and understand who this group of Nicolaitans are. I mean, there's a, a bunch of theories on who these people are. But whatever, whoever they are, they were teaching the people to do these things that John said Jesus hates. They were putting the stumbling blocks before his people. They were teaching them to eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Now, these things are issues of compromise. This is compromise. What we are, are looking at, if we were to update these three issues, because looking at these things, right, they're all in the context of religious practices, right? So, and, 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 and in the passage, we see not only religious compromise, we see political compromise and social compromise, right? Cultural compromise, right? Th- they are teaching them through their doctrine to compromise their faith in order to fit in politically, culturally, and socially, The question for us is, in what ways are we as Christians today compromising our faith in order to fit in with society? Now, notice Jesus is not saying that they aren't faithful, the the church itself is faithful, but the church is looking the other way on those people who are compromising. And Jesus says, I have to address this. You know, it's easy for us to compromise because we feel that certain things are not that big of a deal. And so we compromise in order to fit in. Lately, I've been uh, talking, people, uh, someone said to me that it sounds like you've been, like, drifting more into, like, the political in your examples, in your sermons. And uh, and, and they're like, are you doing that on purpose? I'm like, do I do anything by accident? (laughs) Everything I do is on purpose. But I'm not addressing things because I'm trying to be political. I'm addressing it actually because I'm working on my next series, and my next series, all of the scriptures are going to be in the Old Testament, and you cannot not talk about politics if you're looking at the Old Testament prophets. But the example that I used Wednesday was this, okay? So we're talking about doctrine, and we're talking about political compromise, okay? And so I I used the example uh, Wednesday in Bible study uh, about immigration, right? Immigration is the hot-button topic, right? So uh, depending on what side of the aisle that you're on, right, you either believe two million people walking across the border, you don't know who they are or where they came from. is a great idea in the middle of a pandemic. It's just everybody who wants to be in America should be allowed to just come into America, and that's great. And if you don't believe that, you're either racist or xenophobic, okay? And then on the other side, you have people who say everybody who comes across the border is either a rapist or or a criminal, right, as quoted by our last president. And And so here's the issue. The issue is both positions are wrong. But guess what? We can't think about what... Does the Bible say anything about immigration? (laughs) Oh, yeah. It says, if you don't let people come into the country, you're a racist. Because I've talked to everybody for the last two years, and that's the only thing they read. they, They quote verses. Make sure you take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Oh, okay. That's great. That just means let everybody walk into the country with no rules, right? But I've been studying the book of Leviticus. What I've noticed in in here is that I say both, both groups, both groups are compromising to fit in politically. If we look at the Old Testament, it definitely says, make sure you take care of the poor, the widow and the orphan and the stranger. But it also says that when they come, they must assimilate and follow the rules. The Bible says both. But guess what? We politically compromise because I got to go my my party, my party, my party. We all politically compromise. And so I said to those, so I said to, to I- in Bible study, I said for people who believe that everybody should come into the country and, and there'd be no restrictions or anything like that, I just asked the question, I said, when those people come to the country, how many of us who believe that, Anybody who wants to come to America is, is free to come because the Bible says take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. When they get here, have you ever gone to visit them? Have you spent any of your money to house them? I don't know. I ain't say taxes. Taxes. Because that's what we' like, no, that we should let them come in and and Uncle Sam is paying for that, but that's not what the Bible teaches. it says you are supposed to take care of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Do we go to those people and share the gospel with them so that they can be saved, or is somebody else supposed to feed them and house them and take care of them, right? So the point I'm making is and the reason why I see you try to be political. I'm not being political. I'm just talking about what the Bible says, that if we want to see people, and I believe immigration could be great because, because we don't care about going to the nations, so God is bringing the nations to us. I'm just saying when they get here, we should be sharing the gospel with them. We don't care about those people. We only care about the politics of it because this is what my party says. This is what my party said, And then we just fight, 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 fight. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Should we build a wall? Oh, we shouldn't build a wall. (laughs) We don't care. We don't care about the topic. We care about the politics because our issue is political compromise. It's not What does the scripture say? Culturally, the church is compromising. I was watching the news the other day, and they were celebrating Leah Thomas. And if you don't know, Leah Thomas is a transgender man on a female team, and is beating all of the women, right? And so <laughs> I'm gonna keep it moving. And and and, and so th- there's this uproar. All of the young women on the team are, are upset because. They have spent all of these years training, and and they have been, the one person that he beat, she she came in second. She was number two, number one in the nation. And then she jumps into a pool, and she's number two, only because we're not allowed to say what is obvious, that men have more dense bones stronger muscles, bigger hands, and and it is not really right for women to compete against men. I watch MMA fights where the top women in the country <laughs> are able to compete against one another and then get into a ring with transgender men, and get beat into a pulp in the first round. And they just land on the ground bloody. And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's a great fight. And I'm like, you just watched a man beat down a woman to a bloody pulp. And we can't say anything because we need to be politically correct. We compromise in the area of religion, because we can't offend anybody. <laughs> we want to make everybody feel, feel feel comfortable, and so we go out and we become ecumenical. We, we make sure that everybody is feeling on the same level. I went to this, I was asked to do this funeral a couple of weeks ago, and the person who asked me said, "Well, I just gotta let you know up front: um, the family does not want any mention of Jesus." I said, "Do they? <laughs> do they? Uh, did they? Did <laughs> they? Did they have this in mind before they asked me to <laughs> to do that? Because uh, y- um, y'all know me, right?" And so I'm like, "Listen, you got." Let them know up front who I am, cause I I can't. Wait a minute, you can call you can get up and talk about God. And I'm like, mm, no. No, I, I I can't get up and talk about God. I gotta get up and talk about Jesus. And so everybody get, gets up and and everybody is, is is they either don't say anything religious or about God at all, or they're like, Yeah, you know, cause God, God. And so I get up and I'm like, Lord, what should I do? And I say, the only thing that I can think about that's comforting today is the time when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Turn with me to, <laughs> to John. <laughs> that's <a> Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. And then I finished my message with the last sentence was, Because all of us are going to end up in this place one day, and the only thing that matters is, do you know Jesus? (laughs) Yeah, and I didn't get beat up. (laughs) How many times do we go out and we just talk about God because we don't want to offend people by saying Jesus? It's possible for us as Christians to go out and make ourselves feel comfortable because yeah, because God, God did it. God, God, God. They're like, yeah, yeah, God, God, God. Knowing that we compromised because we didn't talk about Jesus. I remember going to a cookout at uh, one of my cousin's houses, and uh, a relative of of, of his. Uh, stopped me and said, They told me you are a pastor. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And they were like, Well, let me talk to you because, um, you know, Jesus, you know, was just a prophet. And, and so we going on about, I'm like, Yeah, yeah, Jesus was a prophet. And so we having this great conversation about Jesus being a prophet. And we talked for like five minutes about how Jesus was a great prophet. And they were like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, man. And they went to walk away. And I was like, Oh, wait, wait, wait. But you do know that Jesus was God. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that was the end of the conversation. They didn't talk to me the rest of the cookout. (laughs) And and, and sometimes what we're trying to do is, is not have that reaction. So we just talk about God. Jesus is saying don't compromise. Don't compromise. It is our responsibility to stay faithful to his word, regardless of the consequence. (laughs) Even if, just a couple verses before, if it cost you your life, Antipas was my faithful witness who was killed where Satan dwells doesn't matter if it's political, if it's cultural, if it's religious, if it's sexual, do not compromise. And this is coming from someone who has compromised so many times that it's sad, but at this point in my life, I'm like,, mm, I'm not compromised anymore. <laughs> Don't compromise. Jesus says that this is such a serious issue, verse 16, that you need to repent. You need to change your mind about the topic and do something different. Change your mind about your doctrine and do something different. Do a 180 degree turn. If you do not I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is saying this is such a serious topic that he will speak the word (laughs) and destroy everything that you hold dear." I will come to them and fight against them with the sword of my mouth, right? He will use his mouth the same thing that he uses to bless us. he will use to curse us. I have a friend that is in my opinion this person doesn't doesn't agree with me is 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 straight in the middle of compromise. Had a conversation with this this person and and uh, I'm trying to be careful. <laughs> we recording this? <laughs> um, I in, know. In, in in talking to the person, the person does not see a connection between the way that they are living their life and what they believe. We're talking about very clear things in the Bible. The Bible says, do not do this, this, this. That person is doing this, this, and this, and some more. (laughs) And I'm like, you got to stop. You you, got to stop. Well, it's not really sin because I'm doing this but not that. And as long as I don't go that far, then it's not sin. And I'm like, sound like compromise to me. You could do certain actions, and that's not sin. But as long as I don't do these actions, that, that you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm straight. And, and they're like, well, how can you say I'm in sin? I wake up and do prayer at 6 a.m. every morning. I'm like, I'm not understanding <laughs> what you don't see. <laughs> that you could pray at 6 a.m. every morning and still be in sin. That's called compromise. And and so I'm talking and talking, and it's just like, don't see it. Don't see it. Don't see it. Don't see it. Because we think that as long as we're doing certain practices, God will somehow excuse the sin that we have in our lives. And so as I'm talking, you know, the person keeps like, every time... I don't understand why this bad why nothing ever goes right. You know, I'm doing this and I'm trying to pray. I'm doing this, but nothing seems to be going right in my life. <laughs> so now I just when people call and ask me question, I just like, you, you you want me to tell you the truth or you just want me to tell me what you want to hear? <laughs> Psalm says If you regard evil in your heart. The Lord will not hear your prayers. I'm praying. And then I'm like. Maybe he's not listening. I'm studying the Bible. uh, But you know. This keeps happening. Maybe he's speaking against you. And not speaking a blessing. God does not play with compromise. We'll see in a couple of, uh, um, just real shortly, right? We'll see, Jesus says to those who compromise by trying to live in both worlds, right? You know, one foot here in the world, one foot in the church, right? He says, I really wish that you were either hot or cold. I wish you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus says people who compromise make him want to vomit. I will spit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. Now, for us, we feel that. Sometimes you have to compromise in order to get along, right? I don't want to lose my job. I don't you know, I, d- I, I don't know how many people have h- asked me this, conversa- had this conversation with me within the last year, you know, should we use people's uh, preferred pronouns or not? And I'm like, I don't know, that's a choice you got made. I don't have a Bible verse on that, you know. Can we call uh, individual they? I'm like in the '80s, they was plural. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. In the '80s, they was plural. They was not singular in the in the '80s. I I don't know, gr- Grandma. In the 2000s, <laughs> but that's a choice you have to make. I have to live in reality reality is what God says reality doesn't doesn't fall prey to personal opinions. I can't wake up and be like I don't feel like a man anymore y'all call me they (laughs) I don't know I don't know Everybody has to make their own choice. I know mine. I, li- I, li- I live in reality. If you don't want to live in reality, that's on you. I'm not using pronouns to fit your reality. I fit God's reality. Now, if I lose my job, if I lose my car, if I lose my house, if I get arrested, well, that ain't, that's not my choice. I live in reality, the reality that God created, the reality that one day we will all answer for. Now, if it was me, I'd just be like, hi, Jim. I I don't know what pronouns are. I just use people's first names. Hi, Jim. hi Hi, Jane. You have to use a pronoun. I don't know what a pronoun is. I only know proper nouns. (laughs) I mean, there are numerous court cases over the last year that says you can't be forced to use pronouns. If I call you by your name, that's that's great, right? You can't force someone. This is a First Amendment uh, issue. You can't force me to use a pronoun. As long as I use proper names, we we all straight, right? We are being pushed to compromise. The reason that we are being pushed to compromise is because whoever controls grammar controls thinking. Whoever controls grammar controls thinking because you cannot speak. Without words churning in your head. And you speak a certain way long enough, that will be ingrained in your thinking. And so I'm talking to young people, and I'm like, they're like, yeah, you know, because we talked about this on Wednesday. You know, somebody told me this, I had to look it up myself. You know, um, tampons change their products for men too? I was like, I said where did they put that at? <laughs> I'm confused. I'm confused. I'm like, no, man. I almost I almost got I almost got uh lynched when I, I was talking about it. I was like, no, that's not true. Men can't get pregnant. What? <laughs> You're like, I mean that's a you said a curse word or something. No, they can't. N- don't say that out loud, please, please don't say please don't say that out loud. you might get beat up huh right, yeah, 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 the alphabet people will come and get you you say that you get you will get you will get put you get put straight off of off of social media saying something like that, you know why because. If you can control the way people think, you can control their behavior. Well, that's your opinion. No, that's okay. <laughs> 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 we are all, listen, this, this point I'm making. The reason that we're here. The reason that we're in Revelation. We are all being asked to accept a new doctrine. That's it. Now, you can hold on to the old doctrine, but there's going to be consequences to holding on to the old doctrine. You might can't get a job. You might lose, you know, but there's consequences. The question is, what do you hold fast to? Jesus says that even in the time of Antipas, there are, were those who hold fast to my name; they will not compromise. But then there are those who hold fast to the doctrine of the of Balaam and the Nicolaitans; they compromised. The question is: Are we willing to stand on God's word? If people are offended, if people don't like it, if there are consequences or whatever. Jesus' message to us in this passage is, hold on to sound doctrine. Do not compromise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to look at your word. Your word is a sharp two-edged sword, as Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4. It is something that is encouraging to us, but it is also something that will cut us. Jesus, you said that you did not come to produce peace on earth, but you came to bring a sword so that you could divide between a mother and and a daughter, and a son, and a father. And I will add, between those who will stand firm on your word and those who will compromise with the world. Lord, I pray that you will help us as we are working our way through these messages to the churches, help us to see that you are looking for people who will stand faithful to you regardless of what happens in the world. It may be uncomfortable. We may have to sacrifice. But I pray, Lord, that you will help us to stand faithful. If the world doesn't like it or is offended. It is not our responsibility to make the word palatable. It's our responsibility to stay faithful. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to deal with the issue of compromise. The truth be told, including myself, all of us compromise on something somewhere at some time. I pray, Lord, that you would help us first forgive us, help us to repent, help us to to change our thinking, to turn our minds back towards you. Help us to see, Lord, that even in standing firm, we should be loving and gentle and kind. We shouldn't uh, be, a, be a, attacking other people who, are, who think differently or act differently, but we should lovingly stand firm in what we believe. Help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to stand firm in sound doctrine, which means we have to spend time in your word and not just imbibe the spirit of this age from one political party or another political party, one group or another group. Help us to stand firm on your word regardless of how anybody feels about it. pray, Lord, that when you come, you'll be able to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.